Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Amen. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. We want to give a shout out to Niwad Campus, everybody who's hanging out with us online. We are in week three of our series, Your Past is Showing. Now, here's the deal. I am so proud of our church over the last couple of weeks because I told you week one of this series uh, that we are dealing with a topic that I think has the most influence when it comes to your current relationships, and that is your past. And I said, look, this series is going to be weighty. It's going to be messy. And if you choose to engage with it, you're, it's going to be, you're going to have to be a little gritty with it because we are, we're getting into the depths of our hearts. We're exploring kind of the dark areas where there are things that are lurking in there that if we we're just going to be honest with ourselves, we'd go, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want people to ask me questions about those things. Uh, but here's what we know, that, that those things they have so much influence in our present and our future relationships that, that we can't ignore it. We can't avoid it. We got to go back and get after it. And you guys, a lot of you have been, been doing that over the last couple of weeks. I've been hearing so many stories and been on so many phone calls and text messages and emails, people just giving updates going, look, I, I've avoided this thing for 20 years. And I called up somebody last week and, and I made it right. And just so many of that. And here, here's what you'll find that when you engage with, with your past, that the reason why it's messy is because even, you know, the challenge last week was, hey, if you've wounded somebody, you should make it right. You should do everything you can to make it right. And a lot of you did that. And, but some of you, what you, what you found out was when you, as you engaged in that, the other person still was not receptive to the phone call, to the text, to whatever you were saying. And, and you kind of reached back out and you said, man, I just wish it would have would have worked out. And the encouragement is, listen, anytime we're taking a step in the right direction, it doesn't always, you know, in the moment turn out the way that we would hope it would. But I, I just believe that God is in the midst of all those things. And you've got to re be responsible for you. And so if you said it, or if you did it, then you've got to do everything to make it right. But it's messy. It's messy and it's weighty. But, but the challenge is, is that if we, if we don't engage with it, those things continue to grow and they become even more powerful as they kind of present themselves in our present. This is, this is really a series that just came out of just, you know, my own past kind of experience with my own past over the last couple of years. And the older I get, this is what, I, you know, my staff would tell you, I just been saying it a lot. You know, the older I get, I go, man, my past has way more influence in my present than I realize. It has way more influence. And the older I get, the, the more influence it, it seems to to have. And here's what we've said over the last couple of weeks, that a lot of our past, it's, it's hidden in our hearts. This is kind of how God kind of orchestrated this whole deal, that there are things in your hearts that you've been carrying past, past wounds, and, and, and over time, they tend to come to the surface. And God's been consistent with this conversation about the heart. In fact, we're going to go back to the Old Testament here in a second through the prophet Hosea. So, so Hosea is a, is a kind of a spokesperson for God in the Old Testament, and he's talking to the nation of Israel and God really wanting you know, his people to understand you know, the significance of what's happening in the heart, has this conversation with them. And, and so they understand with a little bit of clarity, he begins to compare the heart to a farm, which is interesting. Okay? And so if you have your Bibles, this is Hosea uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 12. Just a kind of another way to explain the complexity of what's happening in the heart. So here's what Hosea says uh, as a spokesperson for God. It says this, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. 
And here's the other part. This is the tension-filled part. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time. Today's as good a day as any. Seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. So God builds on this picture of kind of, you know, sowing and reaping. And he tells Israel, look, if you want to have a crop of love in your life, then you're also going to have to learn how to plow up the hard ground that is in your hearts. So there's, there's you know, if your heart is like a farm, there's some, there's some ground that is, that is, you know, it's ready to, to plant and, and it is receptive of seed. But there's also other parts of your heart that is hard. Now, I'm no farmer. You may have picked up on that, okay? I'm, I'm no farmer. I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm, I'm more of a, a city boy. I've been around farms, and I've been around farmers. And so I'm just going to go out on a ledge here for a second and just say something that I think is true, that I don't think hard ground is the kind of soil you want to be using when it comes to planting seeds. I just don't think that's the kind of ground you want. Any farmers in here? Go ahead. Just raise your hand real quick. Any farmers? No farmers. One farmer, maybe. It's okay. You can be a farmer. It's great. I think that if you would hang out with farmers and go, look, I'm, I'm looking to plant this crop. What kind of soil, you know, am I looking for? If, you, you know, if we're talking about, you know, soft soil or hard soil, I think what we want to find is this soil that will be receptive to seed and hard ground. Here's what God says. The hard ground of your heart is not receptive to the kind of crops that you want to be growing in your heart. Which is why what, what Hosea says here, again, as a spokesperson for God, it says, look, you've got you've to figure out how then to get into the hard ground in your heart and kind of turn that up. It's painful. This is why farmers have plows with blades. They're getting into the hard ground. They're turning it up so that this hard ground that would not be receptive to, to seed will eventually be receptive to seed. But left unaddressed, you won't be able to plant anything in this Ground. And here's what God says. God says that for us to have healthy relationships, then we got to get into the habit of plowing up the hard ground in our hearts. But if we choose, if we choose, and you, you get to make this choice, if you choose to leave those parts of your hearts left unaddressed, they will continue to, to affect your current and future relationships in a negative way. They will also begin to take up space in your heart. There should be space available for you to plant good crops. But if you don't get into the hard ground, the hard soil of your heart, then there's other crops in your heart like love and trust and connection that won't be able to grow. Again, I'm no farmer, okay? I'm no farmer, but I think we, we, we'll be on the same page with this. What, what does a crop, if you plant a seed in your backyard today, what does it need to grow? What does it need to grow? Okay, I heard water. Yes, we're all, we all agree. Water, right? Yeah, it's going to need some water. What else does it need? Sun. It needs some sun. Okay, so water and sun, we're on the same page. What else does it need? Soil, yes. Fertilizer, yeah. Fertilizer, manure, or as your kids will call it, poop, right? Which is interesting. We, we could all get on the same page of being like, you know, we're driving down 52 and there's farms, you know, on both sides of us. And you're going, man, it's, 
it's raining today, and I wish I could see the sun, but it's a little bit cloudy. But, you know, this is good because we need rain. Rain's good for the earth. It's good for these crops. You know, it's good. Or, or maybe when the sun's out, you know, this is good. You know, I, I, you know, there's something that brings energy when the sun's out. It's also good for the plants, you know. But listen, you have never been driving down 52, okay? You've never been driving down 52, and you get a whiff of that poop that comes into your car because the farmers are spreading it, and you go, man, praise God, I love that smell. That is, boy, that's what we need. I know those farmers need that to produce good crops and good for them that they're putting that poop over. You never do that. You never drive and go, kids, you smell that? That is good stuff. No, because if you did, you'd be a psychopath, okay? It's just, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. But here's the deal. What we're going to talk about today, I think, I think is the fertilizer for your heart. We oftentimes avoid it. We'll go to other things because, you know, we'll talk about sun and rain because, you know, it's a little bit easier. But this one thing, this one thing, this kind of ingredient to produce good crops in your heart, if you don't use it, you will never get to the level of connection and intimacy that you desire in your relationships. And I wish it wasn't so. If I was honest, I wish we didn't need this kind of fertilizer for our hearts, but you do. In fact, I think it's one of the main things you need to move forward in the context of your relationships. And it's this word, vulnerability. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the stinky stuff that you need. It's the thing that we don't really want to talk about or address. But for you to grow the good crops in your heart, it is necessary. And the reason why I compare it to fertilizer, because nobody, I, I, I've never said this, I've never heard anybody say this in the context of meeting with people and couples, nobody leans into vulnerability and goes, dude, I love this. Boy, I love opening up my heart and giving you access to everything and dealing with my shame and guilt. I love putting myself out there and letting you, you know, determine if you're going to be receptive to it or not. I love feeling weak. I, I lo-. Nobody ever says that. You have been trained in the context of the culture in which you live, and if you grew up in church, you have also been trained. Then we have also learned from past experiences that vulnerability is not safe, therefore it is not the way forward, and you have found yourself, and this has been true of me, I have found myself in this tension going, I want deep connection with people, I just don't want to be vulnerable with them. But vulnerability is the only way forward. It's the fertilizer for the grounds in your heart. And without it, you will never, never get to levels of trust and connection and love that you desire deep down in your heart. Can I tell you what I've done? Uh, I'll I'll be vulnerable with the reason why I don't like to be vulnerable. I, I have a natural lean towards being against vulnerability. It's a little bit of my personality, a little bit from you know, how I was raised and some of the trauma of my past life. But I, I, I hate, and I mean that, I hate vulnerability. In my relationships for most of my life, here's what I've done because I, I have, you know, really at the core of vulnerability is this deep fear of rejection. It's a deep fear of rejection. Vulnerability, when it's kind of out there, vulnerability starts leaning in and says, don't, don't do it. Don't say it, don't tell them, don't let them know, you know, that what you were thinking or what you were saying, no, 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 just perform, just pretend everything is good. Don't let them see the real you, because if you let them see the real you, they will reject you. 
That's, a, that's kind of the core of, uh, of vulnerability, the, the fear of rejection. And so here's what I've done my whole life and just about every relationship in my life, that if I get a sense that you're about to reject me, I'll reject you first. That's what I've done just about in every relationship of my life. If I, if, I, uh, if I start picking up, there's a little bit of tension here, we have a little bit of conflict, and I can feel that maybe rejection is coming, whether that's true or not, my, my coping mechanism to deal with vulnerability is to reject you before you reject me. I would choose to reject you before I would ever be vulnerable with you. Now, that's mine, and that may be true for you, and there's a variety of coping mechanisms you can choose to, to avoid vulnerability. Some of you, you just lie about it. Hey, how you doing this week? Doing great. And you're not. You just choose to lie, to ignore it. Some of you, you you're able to kind of mask your true feelings of what's going in because you will project anger. You can't talk about what's really going on because you're just angry. And really, anger is just your way to keep from having to talk about the real issues in your heart. Some of you go on the attack. You play the blame game. You can never talk about the things that's happening on the inside because you're just talking about everybody else. Some of you just get quiet. You shut down. The closer you get to some of the hard ground in your heart, you just refuse to participate in the conversation. Some of you talk too much. You dominate the conversation. So, you know, you're just talking about everything that really has nothing to do with what's really true going on in your heart, but you just keep talking because you're filling the void of the space of potentially somebody else leaning in and going, come on, what's really going on? Some of you tell jokes. You just tell joke, 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 joke. Everything's a joke. So you avoid the hard conversations because you're too busy with another punchline. Some of you, this is not me, but some of you, I've seen this, are able to compartmentalize the relationships in your life. So you don't bring it with you. It's just every relationship's kind of in its own box, and that's where you keep it there. It's actually really painful, but you're able to avoid it. You can mask it because it's not right in front of you, so you put it. You compartmentalize. You don't have to think about it because it's not right in front of you. But here's the deal. If you want healthy relationships, vulnerability is the way forward. And I think if you're ever going to be vulnerable with anybody you know, who's around you, then you first got to learn how to be vulnerable with God. And most of us that say we are vulnerable with God, but my experience has been as a pastor for 18 years, we're not. We're not. And because we're not vulnerable with God, we really aren't vulnerable with anybody else. And I would also say that if you can't be vulnerable with God, how in the world would you be vulnerable with the people that are around you? In Mark chapter 5, there's a story about Jesus and this woman. And, and the scene of the story is Jesus is on, he's like taking a couple chapters here. He's preaching. And because of what he's saying, there's huge crowds that are following him. He's crossing this lake and, you know, on a boat and people just keep following him. And He has all these interactions with all these different kinds of people, and there's this one little interaction in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus is interacting with with this woman, and the reason why it's so profound, and the reason why I think it really talks about this idea of vulnerability, because this woman, she gets to a place in her life where she allows herself to be seen, not just by God, but but by the people around her. So this is the story, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 25. We don't even know the name of this woman, and here's her story. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Everybody right now say 12 years. That was not very good. Niwat, you probably didn't do good either. Okay, let's try it again. 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. It's a long time. A lot can happen in 12 years. That's, that's a pretty significant part of this woman's life. It's a part of her past. 
She's, been, she's had a, you know, some kind of bleeding disorder for 12 years. Verse 26, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here's her story. We know this is her story. For the past 12 years, she's had this bleeding condition. She's tried everything. She has saw the doctor. I mean, she tried, you know, other kinds of medicine. She spent money. She tried the surgery. Nothing has worked. And so she's got to a place in her life because she's been under this condition for 12 years that she's looking for for anything, something that might make a difference in her life. Now, also part of her past, because of her condition, because it involves blood, she's been considered to be unclean, meaning she does not have access to any other really relationships in her life. She's not been allowed from the law to get married. She's not been allowed to go to church. She hasn't been allowed to be in the temple or the synagogue. She's not allowed to be around people. She has been stamped as an unclean woman. And so you know her story. For the past 12 years, she's had no husband. She's had no children. She probably has no money, and she has no church. This is her past. And she hears, she hears about this guy who's been traveling around saying stuff. And because of that, she's, she's going to risk something here. Look at this, verse 27. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, not even supposed to be in the crowd, not even supposed to be around people, but she sneaks in the crowd and she touches his cloak. And because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Interesting thought. If I could just get close to Jesus, something might change. This is a proximity issue. This is a connection issue. If I could just get close to Jesus, if I could just touch his clothes, this woman is thinking something might change. Verse 29, and immediately after she touches Jesus' cloak, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now again, it takes so much courage just to do what she's doing here because she is not supposed to be near the crowd and she's definitely not supposed to be touching anybody. This woman is considered to be unclean, meaning that if this unclean woman touched you, you no longer would be clean. You would also be considered unclean. And in this culture 2,000 years ago, that would be a huge deal. When you go from being clean to unclean, you've got some serious issues. So this woman is, I mean, because of the proximity, she is breaking all kinds of laws. Shouldn't be there, shouldn't be touching anybody. But she's thinking, if I could just get close enough to Jesus, if I could just touch his cloak. I mean, it won't touch his skin. I'll just touch his clothes. Maybe something, just maybe something might change. It's a beautiful reminder. It's part of a beautiful story here. But this woman's courage. Look what happens, verse 30. Now, once... Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who, really what he's saying is, who touched me? Now, he is asking the one question, imagine this, he's asking the one question that this woman does not want to hear. She's trying to get in and she's trying to get out. She's trying to sneak in, you know, touch Jesus, you know, hopefully experience some kind of life transformation. And then she's hoping to get out of there because she's not supposed to be there and she's not supposed to be touching anybody. So imagine this. There's a couple of seconds that has to be pure joy 
for this woman. She touches Jesus' clothes. She feels that something is changing in her body. She is, I mean, just relief after 12 years of her past being taken care of in a moment. Then in the next breath, Jesus turns around and goes, who touched me? And she hates that question. She hates that question. She does not want to be seen by anybody. She doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want anybody looking at her. She wants to get in and she wants to get out. She thinks the only problem she has is physical. Jesus, who's way smarter, knows there's way more at play. Jesus knows her past. He knows that she's got this physical condition, but he's about to lead her into something that not only will heal the outside, but he's going to start digging in the depths of her heart. Because I'm telling you, and you know this, you know her story, even a little bit that you heard this morning. She's carried around shame for at least her last 12 years, if not her whole life. She's been branded as unclean and unworthy. And my guess is she has felt unloved. And Jesus knows this. The outside is taken care of, but he's about to do some heart work, which is hard work. He's going to get in and mess around with her shame because he knows that her shame has kept her disconnected from God and from people for at least 12 years. She has walked around for 12 years going, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. If you knew me, you wouldn't want to touch me. If you knew me, you know I shouldn't be here touching your cloak. It's interesting. You know what the antidote to shame is? Vulnerability. (laughs) Vulnerability. A lot of smart people have spent a lot of money trying to figure out how, how do you deal with the shame that has found its way into our hearts And after many years and lots of bucks of studying it, here's what the researchers have found. Vulnerability. Opening your heart wide up. And in this story, letting God get in to your heart. It's vulnerability. takes care of your shame. In order for connection to happen, you've got to allow yourself to be seen because the opposite of vulnerability is playing games. It's pretending. It's performing. And shame keeps creeping up in your heart and mind going, don't let them see you. Because if they see you, they won't love you. If they see you, they'll criticize you. So keep it hidden. And the shame keeps festering. Verse 31. We know this is Peter, by the way, from other people who have wrote about this. So Peter speaks up. So Jesus goes, who touched me? There's all, I mean, just, there's so much happening in these few seconds in this woman's heart and Jesus, and Jesus turns around now. And, you know, Jesus, he's Jesus, okay? He's God. He knows who touched him. He's leading this woman in an exercise of dealing with her shame, okay? So verse 31, Peter speaks up, looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, I mean, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? And it's like, Peter, stop talking. Talking, okay, you know, I'm, listen, th- you're missing the whole point. He's God. He already knows who touched him. But, you know, Peter's trying to help out. And he's going, you know, you know, Jesus, I don't know. There's hundreds of people around here. Anybody of these people could touch you. It's not the point. He's missing it all. Then verse 32, look at this. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. 
And trembling with fear, because she's about to be seen, she knows it. Trembling with fear, told him the, not part of the truth, but the whole truth. Whole truth. Jesus, I was trying to sneak in and sneak out. But if you want me to be seen, and she falls at his feet and goes, I'll let you see me. Tells him, you know, her story, the whole truth of why she's there. And she realizes in that moment, I can't hide anymore. I've been found out. And here's the question. Now that she's thinking, what will Jesus do? Because she's grown up in a system in the context of her culture where right now she's about to be punished. Right now, the crowd may even fold on her. They may stone her because she shouldn't be there. She's thinking to herself, oh my goodness, I'm unclean, and I just touched who, who potentially is the son of God. So my uncleanliness, did it just make him unclean? And if she thinks that that actually happened, she's got to think whatever is about to, you know, whatever the response from Jesus is going to be, it is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And what happens next? In this next moment, what happens, I think, is one of the most profound moments in the Gospels. And we breeze right by it. But it's very profound. you got to lean in. If you're not a Christian, you should think about this. And if you are a Christian, you need to believe this again. Because what is about to happen really answers one of the major questions of all religions. Not just Christianity, but all of them. And here's the question. What is it like? What is it like to be exposed in all of our shame and mess? before a holy God. What happens when you come before God and you open your heart wide open? God, here it is. Here's my past. Here's my mistakes. Here's my highs. Here's my lows. Here's the things that I've been hiding. Here's the things I don't want to talk about. But here it is. How does God respond? Look what happens, verse 34. This is not what she was expecting. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. In all the New Testament, this is the only time Jesus will address someone as daughter. That is not the response that she was thinking she was going to be given. Of all the things that Jesus could say, this woman tells the whole truth, not just part of it, the whole truth. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your, your faith, your wide open heart, your vulnerability, this is the right way. It's healed you. Now go in peace and be freed up from your suffering. Daughter, I know why you're afraid, but hey, just lean in for a sec, because you are not, you are not what others have said about you. You are not what others have done to you. You are what I'm about to declare over you. See, you've been called a lot of things in your life, but let me give you something brand new. I see your heart. I see it wide open. I see your vulnerability. Let me give you something different, something new. Daughter. Daughter. Your faith, your vulnerability, when you walk out of here, you're going to walk differently out of here than you walked in. Not only are you physically healed, but I'm taking that shame right out of your heart. She tried to get in just for the physical miracle. Jesus is doing something far greater. He's getting into the hard soil of her heart. And his response, I mean, his response should give you just 
man, a, a deep breath of fresh air going, okay, what is it like when we become vulnerable with God? God does not respond to you and, and pummel you and punish you and criticize you and go, how could you? How could you? How could you? See, God doesn't look at you. He's not expecting you to be flawless. He's not expecting you to be perfect. Here's what he's wanting from you. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to be honest. And if you're going to be honest, if you're going to be vulnerable, then you also have to be a bit humble. You have to be a bit humble. And Jesus, I mean, he showed us the way. Paul, this is what Paul wrote in, to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, when he's looking back and he's just kind of summarizing the story of Jesus. Look what he says. And he, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself. Well, how do you, how do you humble himself, Paul? Well, here's how. He, and he became vulnerable. Choosing to be revealed as man and was obedient, he was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. So Paul goes, if you're looking at like the steps to vulnerability, he goes, look at Jesus. He, he humbled himself. He downgraded himself. I mean, he was God in heaven and he became 100% God and 100% man when he came to earth. That's a downgrade. And he became vulnerable. How did he become vulnerable? Because as becoming a human, he allowed death to enter into his narrative for his life. Paul goes, we don't think about that. But he did. God humbled himself, and he allowed himself to be vulnerable. And then Jesus even modeled it for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 37, Jesus is, is literally hours away from being arrested. He's going to go through the judicial process. He's, he's a day away from being crucified. And he's hanging out with his guys. Now look at this. This is verse 37. And then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called the oil press. And he told them, sit here while I go and pray nearby. And he took Peter, Jacob, and John with him. However, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into agony. And he said to them, my what? My heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. If you would have bumped into Jesus that night in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Jesus, how you doing? He would not have responded how many of you or I would respond. It's good. I'm doing all right. It's okay. Which is what a lot of us say. This is God, by the way. God is being vulnerable with, with humans, and he's saying, I'm not okay. I'm not doing good at all. If you're asking about what's going on in my heart, it's filled with grief and sorrow because I know what is about to happen to me. So am I good? I'm not good. I'm not doing all right. I, oh man, I, I could, the, the weight that I'm carrying right now, I know it's about to lead to my death, but I feel like death is at the door, you know, at the door of my heart. And it's weighty and it's heavy. How am I doing? Not good. He could have said anything, but he chose to be vulnerable. God chose to be vulnerable with you and me so you can be vulnerable with God because God was vulnerable with you everything in the new testament reinforces that when you choose to be vulnerable with God good things happen when you give God access to the darkest places in your heart he does not punish you he rewards you the reason why you think he's going to punish you because most of your life you've been punished for being vulnerable most of the time when you choose to allow the darkness of your heart come into the light, people around you don't reward you, they criticize you. And you've learned over time, it's not safe. It's not safe. How am I doing? And you've learned to say, I'm doing all right. 
How was your week? It's good. It's good. And there are so many things that reinforce that in your life. Throw in social media. Look at someone's social media. It's all good. It's so crazy. I, I've been in the room, you know, with people whose lives are blowing up. And the next day I get on social media and they're posting, my life is great. It's not. You can be vulnerable with God because God was vulnerable with you. And you can be vulnerable with others because God was vulnerable with others. And I get it. See, this is where it gets messy because you've probably got stories like I got stories where you were vulnerable with somebody in your past and that person abused your vulnerability. You had trust in your relationship and somebody broke that trust. You had a friend and you confided in them. And that friend took that information and punished you with it. And what happens over time? We build up walls. And we go, I don't want to do this anymore. Because every time somebody who punishes me for my vulnerability, it hurts. So we don't do it. And we create distance. And we create our coping mechanisms. And we tell people, you're never going to really get to know me. Because the shame in our heart says, if you did... You won't reward me. You'll punish me. It's why some of you in your relationship with God won't take steps with him. Because you have gotten to the place where that you will have to be vulnerable if you want to have a deeper intimacy with God. It's why some of you refuse to get baptized. It's why some of you refuse to get into groups. It's why some of you refuse to serve because you don't want people getting into your business because you have learned over time that vulnerability only leads to more pain. But here's the problem. That in the context of your relationships, not just with God, but with others, the only way to experience deep connection is through vulnerability, is through being seen. So how do you do it? Here's what I've learned. And I'm just telling you, this has kind of been the last five years of my life because there are things that I have hidden away that I don't want people talking to me about. There are deep pains and wounds that are in there. And let me just tell you, and this is, don't send me an email today and be like, Matt, I'm so sorry for you. I don't say these things, so, you know, boo-hoo me, but I'm just being honest. Some of the most lonely people, some of the most least vulnerable people in the whole world are pastors. I mean, we're already falling into a trap as a church. I mean, this is kind of the church I grew up in where everybody was perfect, right? It's just this deal. Everybody's perfect. Everybody's always good. Nobody's talking about, you know, the garbage in their life or the tensions in their life. I mean, I grew up in this kind of, you know, church where everybody's perfect. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can be a Christian because I'm not perfect like everybody else. I remember thinking that at 13. I don't know if I belong here because everybody's good and I'm not good only to get into my adult years and I look back at those people in my church and guess what? They were just as screwed up, if not more than me. They just hit it really well. This is church life. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's not great. We've learned this. We've learned this behavior. And we take that even into our relationship with God and go, God, you can have some access to our hearts, but there's some hard ground where I'm not giving you the access, so don't ask your intimacy with God has stopped. And some of you are wondering, ah, oh, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I just, you know, my relationship. I'm telling you, it's the hard ground in your heart. 
You're right. If you choose to be vulnerable with the people around you, it is a position where you are opening your heart. And when I do that, I feel weak. And I don't want people to hurt me, and neither do you. But the very thing you want and the very thing that I want, which is deep connection with the people who I love the most, I'm only going to get it through vulnerability. Because when you're vulnerable and people don't respond with criticism and hate, something beautiful happens. It's what happens with this woman with Jesus. Because Jesus is looking back at her past and all her shame and all of her guilt, and he's looking at her identity, and he doesn't punish her, he rewards her for it and develops a deep intimacy with her. He looks at her and says, hey, thanks for being honest. I'm still gonna run with you. I'm still with you. And she could look at him and go, really? After every, I just told you the whole truth and you still wanna be with me? He goes, oh yeah. Because I'm not looking for you to be flawless. I'm just looking for you to be honest. I'm, I'm running with you. And if you could have that in your life, you can with God. And if you also had to think about this, if you could have that, if you could be you know, completely heart wide open with the people who are closest with you the most. <laughs> most of us don't know what that's like. Because we've refused to be vulnerable for most of our life. A couple of years ago, I got, I got put into a covenant group with some other pastors. Alan Algram, our, our former uh, lead pastor, he was a you know, pastor who planted Rocky. He, he is now in his next ministry. He's creating these, these covenant groups with pastors all over the country because, you know, pastors, man, they're just getting blown up these days. It's so difficult and there's tensions at their heart and they don't feel safe to share. And so he's created these groups for pastors to get together and to be completely vulnerable. What he would say is we're, we're swimming in the deep end of the pool. And the whole goal of this group is to really look at the guys in this group and say, I have no secrets and it is good with my soul. And I can remember the first time we got together in one of our retreats and we were jumping into the deep end of the pool and it was share your story and not just the parts you usually share, but I want to hear the parts that maybe nobody knows about. And I'm telling you, I was freaking out. I let just about everybody else go first. And it was so crazy because I remember being in the room and you've got, you know, clearly you're thinking nobody's as screwed up as me. And then someone shares their story and you're like, wow, you're really screwed up, you know? And something amazing, it's, 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 I'm just telling you, it's uncomfortable and it's scary, but something amazing begins to happen in this. And here's what I've learned. And, and I'm telling you, even in moments of my life today, when I have a choice to be vulnerable, there's something inside of me that always says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you do it, they're going to punish you for it. Don't do it. Don't share it. Don't say it. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. But when you do with the people who love you the most, this is the beautiful thing that I, I just, I tell you, it's brand new for me. When I'm sitting in the room with those guys and I go, guys, here I am. Judge me, critique me, whatever, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to share it. I mean, just, ugh. And they look at me and they go, hey, thanks for sharing that. We're still running with you. Really? Yeah. something that has been used to push you down your whole life becomes incredibly beautiful with the people that you choose to be vulnerable with the most. Really? You know me and you're still going to run with me? They go, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course we are. Also, thanks for sharing. And what has been a negative thing in your life becomes a beautiful story that God uses for his worship. Wow, you're not perfect? No. But God calls me his son. And there are people who I have no secrets with who still text me this week and go, bro, I love you. There is something so powerful stepping out of the darkness. Now, here's the deal. Don't go home today and get on social media and start posting all your stuff. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you know people like that, and you're like, that's uncomfortable. I just met you 30 seconds ago. That's what I'm saying. But there should be somebody who knows you, and not just some of you, wide open heart of you. And the people who you want to be closest with, come on, also have the opportunity in your vulnerability to hurt you the most, don't they? vulnerability, you'll never get what you truly want, to be connected, to be known, to be known. I get it. It's risky. It's scary. And here's the deal. Some of you will step into that on a personal relationship and it'll blow up in your face. And when it does, here's what you do. You go back to the one who will always, always respond to you the right way. Jesus, who will say to you over and over again, hey, thanks for your honesty. Also, don't forget, I'm not looking for flawless. I'm looking for openness. I'm sorry that so-and-so responded like that, but I, I want to see you. And I'm going to run with you, even in your darkest parts of your heart. Wide open. Start with God. Start with God. And then start with the people around you. It's the only way forward. Vulnerability. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning I thank you for the reminder. It's so tough. None of us enjoy being hurt. None of us enjoy the pain of relationship. And yet there is no way forward without pain. There's no way. We've been vulnerable in the past. I've been punished for it. We've been vulnerable in the past. I've been criticized for it. And if we're not careful, we will fall into the trap to live a life that is filled with performance and fakeness and never get to a level of connection that you've desired for us with others and with you. And so this morning, I pray we would do our best, that we would start with you to have a heart wide open, that you would remind us of who we are, who, who we are in your eyes. You love us. You see us. You call us sons and daughters. You have renamed us. You've given us a brand new identity. And when the world shows up in the midst of our mistakes, we go back to you and go, tell me again, who do you say I am? And I pray that through that relationship, we would have the courage to be vulnerable with the people around us. And we would be a church that doesn't punish people for being vulnerable, but that we would reward them and encourage them and praise them and go, man, that had to take so much courage. You've been carrying that for 10 years, 20 years, 12 years. I can't imagine. Thanks for sharing. And oh, by the way, 
I got a past too. And I'll rock with you. I'll run with you. I'll walk with you. Help us to be that church. Help us to have those kind of relationships. And first and foremost, help us to be honest with you, the one who will always respond in the right way. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. And the church said, amen.